What's up everybody? I'm Alex at generalgeibel.com. Welcome to the 27th episode of the Heart Dance Producer Network podcast. My guest today is John from the group Portion Control. Portion Control comes a little bit out of a different genre. They are defined by the genre UK industrial. It has nothing to do with industrial that you might know from hardcore. It's more like a down-tempo type of sound, very dark, very hard electronic stuff. The very unique thing about that group is they have been around since the 80s already. While some of you might be still swimming useless in the ball sack of your dads or a lot of you haven't been even planned, those guys been already producing electronic music. Can you imagine that? If you are not very familiar to that genre, I wasn't either, but there are a lot of familiarities to EBM and we're not talking about EDM like, you know, David Guetta and Tiesto and whatever. No, we're talking about EBM, which can be also pretty hard and pretty dark, but pretty down-tempo. I love that shit. It was a great opportunity to talk to somebody who has been around in electronic music for more than 30 years. A different outside perspective. We had a great conversation. We had a lot of things to talk about. So this will be a two-part episode. He's sharing a lot of plugin tips. He's sharing a lot of uh, how music was produced back in the day. Uh, so many things. Even We talked even about unions and stuff. So there's a lot of wisdom, a lot of of knowledge to take away from that i'm gonna keep it brief let's get into the interview welcome john at portion control you're listening to the hard dance producer network the number one producer podcast for the harder styles hosted by general geibel Yeah, thanks uh, for reaching out about this. It's uh, you got a pretty interesting backstory. Well, that's the thing is, I've, I've watched some of your, I'd watched some of them, or, or actually, I listened to them as a podcast. Yeah, and particularly one with Rob Pappen. Yeah, because obviously, I'm, I'm, I'm obviously our music is not not the hard dance and hard, you know, the, the big kick drum tune, kick drum stuff. Right. Um, but you know, we've always, we've always sort of. We've always been involved in sequencing and sort of, sort of harder, more eclectic electronics. Yeah. So we've seen the scene, to be fair, from its very infancy up to up to right now. You know. Yeah. And, and we're still involved. So yeah. Yeah, that's 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 pretty cool. So, you you said you started in the eighties already, right? Yeah, probably yeah. probably really early eighties. Um. Do you want me just to go through some of that early history stuff? Yeah, that's kind of interesting. I mean, like you didn't have a computer back then, so it's already interesting how you exactly, exactly. You know, like you know, you had to sync up different drum machines, I guess, and uh, exactly. Well, well, when we first started, we were all the three of us that started. In those days, you weren't a DJ because a DJ was just someone who played records and right. that, you know, on the radio really. So DJs didn't really exist. So our, our idea, we'd We'd all come through punk and post-punk. So yeah. I was at college with some friends, and a couple of us started to bring in some um, slow stuff. And this is things like perhaps really early Robin Gristle, um, some of the German sort of Faust album, stuff like this. And we were like, a little group of us be began to become interested in that more sort of electronic side of music. But, you know, that was early days. And there was an English band called Mersbo 
um, that released some stuff. Very, very strange. But this little group of us really liked it. So um, we decided that we, we would be, you know, we would sort of try and get into electronics ourselves. And mm. at that time in England, there was one shop. It was called Chase Musicians. It was um, near, near Euston Station, right? But they bought in ARPs. So I went to look at it and I had enough money to buy an ARP axe. <laughs> and that was my very, very first, my first <coughs> synthesizer. Yeah. Um, and that was like a, that was like a poor man's odyssey. Um, I think it was monophonic. Mm-hmm. Um, but I got it home and the first thing I did, obviously you had a patch book with all the patches in. And there was this thing called, um, anyway, I set this patch up and I moved all the knobs, right? And when I yeah. pressed the button, when I pressed the button, it went blip, blip, blip. And I looked at it and guess what the patch was called? Leaky faucet. Okay. <laughs> and of course, faucet is, I think, did the Germans say faucet? We say tap. Okay. Yeah. So to the Americans, leaky faucet means leaky tap. Yeah. So that's what this thing, fucking thing did. It was like yeah. drip, drip, drip. So <laughs> I'd, I'd, I'd paid like three months salary for like a, yeah. a thing that made drip noises. But, yeah, it's so amazing uh, just to think. It's um, not that long ago, but back then you had a whole patch book to where you kind of sort of, you know, exactly. save presets and, you know, through exactly. pictures you had to recreate them again. That's amazing. Exactly, exactly. And yeah. they gave you they gave you patches, which obviously you set up. But if you were, if, if that slider was out by a tiny increment, because mm. there, no, there was no digital readout to tell you, you just had to right. do it according to the little markers on the on the slider. Um, anyway, so yeah, so we've got the ARPX. Um, and I think after that, um, we, we bought that first programmable drum machine, the Roland Box um, CR78. Yeah. So we had that. And at that point, we started to make electronic music. Um, but we, um, the, <laughs> it's going to be quite a long, in, it could be a long history. Is it? But we, um, we got invited to a local, um, to record a track for like a local um, album, if you like. So we had no record deal. We were just like making bleep and blue stream strange electronics. Right. Um, so we got invited to do this album. So we went, and when we turned up, um, we were the only band, like a synthesizer and a, and a box and a vocalist. Um, but we did this sort of slightly strange track, and the guy that recorded it put loads of reverb all over the voice. So afterwards I said to him, it sounds great, but we don't want the reverb on the voice. And yeah. he said, well, it was really out of key and out of tune. It was awful, you know. So we said, that's fine. You know, that's how it's meant to be. It was, re- it was quite odd at that point, I suppose. Um, anyway, he said, well, you can re-record it, but you'll have to come to my little studio that's at the end of my garden. He had like a garden shed. So we said, fine, we'll come to you. But this guy had been recording reggae. So when we went to his shed, he had a spring reverb, an actual spring, which is the reverb. He had an eight-track, one-and-a-half-inch tape and a Revox to master down onto. Mm-hmm. And he had a space echo. And the moment we heard that, the mo- moment we put a synthesizer for a space echo, Portion Control was born, really. That was, yeah. like, fantastic, fantastic. So we recorded material with him. Mm-hmm. Um, and then we, we progressed. And we la- I, landed up, I landed up wanting to get the TB303 bass line. And I went to um, – we bought that in London at the Rock Shop in, in Camden Town. And at the same time, they had the Dramatics, which you could pair together, uh, you probably know, and you, it was like a Roland Din that, that connected the two together. Mm-hmm. So for these two boxes, you could make bass and drums. Right. So we bought the two on the spot. 
and that was what we used for ISAG mentally, which is kind of a kind of a little bit of a blueprint um, early sort of UK industrial album, I guess now is one with a green screaming face that was computer pixelated face, ISAG mentally. Um, and we added a Moog Rogue, um, an SH09, and then it was a TB303 with the dramatics. But I'll tell you what, you talk about making music naively. On that dramatics, it had BD, SD, HH, CLH, right. CL, right? And we didn't even know what that, we really didn't quite know what that meant. Because the difference between, to be fair, the difference between the, the fucking the rim and the snare and the and the, even the kick was negligible, you know. Right. <laughs> but, you know, it just made like farts and bleeps. But, you know, yeah. pair, pairing it with a bass line, we started to get some good stuff. And then we landed up with, we landed up doing things like um, recording the drums at double tempo and then slowing the tape down. And mm-hmm. we, we tried our best to try and sort of, then we landed up micing the micing the dramatics up, you know, and recording it with um, distortion on, on on the on the amp and recording it. So, Frye segmented over the sort of tricks that we were using, plus early sampling because um, we had the GreenGate DS3. Mm-hmm. And I looked up the stats on the on the GreenGate, which was a very very first sampling possibility. And what it was was it bold that you fit you fitted into an Apple II computer, um, and then it came with a keyboard. And it had four sample channels, um, and you could get about one and a half seconds in each of those channels. But then you could play it back with MIDI if you had something like Cubase Pro 24. You could actually, and all the cables sort of hung out of this thing. It was a homemade thing, but it's yeah. called the Green Gate. If you look back at the history of sampling, that really was the first available sample. I think it was 800 pounds back then. So that we really, really saved hard for that. But we knew we knew that sampling was something that excited us. Yeah. But I looked up how much memory it was, um, the Green Gate, and um, when I found out, I thought I had to look again because I thought, how can it be such small memory? I think we're talking about four megabytes or something. The whole yeah, machine. Yeah. I mean, if it's know. if it's if it's if it's like a second or what you said per sec uh, per. Yeah, about four seconds maybe four total seconds. across four channels. Yeah. You know. Yeah, I mean. Eight bits. Yeah. Okay. Eight yeah. Bit. Eight, eight bit. Yeah. Eight bit. yeah, yeah. So it, it it was definitely a very small. Uh, very small. Less than a photo on a phone. Miles right. less. You know. <laughs> absolutely. Yeah. I mean, what the you know what? Look at where we are now. It's just absolutely yeah. mind-boggling. Yeah. Absolutely. Did you did you play around with um, like those techniques? Like like you said before with the tape, also uh, record double speed into the sampler and slow it absolutely. down. Absolutely. Every yeah. single everything we could do, we tried to do every yeah. way we could. We'd turn it. We used to because the thing is, you couldn't. Obviously, now you can do all this stuff with ease, but we'd yeah. turn the tape over, we'd record stuff, and then we'd bounce it to the Revox. And this yes. engineer guy that was um, our first kind of um, first guy that brought our, bought out our material would obviously he'd cut and splice the tape. Yeah. Think of that. You know, he's got a little cutting block, so he's splicing the tape. Yeah. And then you'd put, because because obviously, you know, you only had to put, you only had to join it with a little bit of tape, a special tape to join it. But it, it ran through the head so fast, it didn't, you didn't notice the join. Yeah. But with a space echo, um, the spring reverb, the synthesizers um, and all the, all these techniques, you could start to fashion what was quite. And at that time, we were listening to things like, oh, I particularly was listening to things like Chrome as well. 
um, coming out of America. Um, mm-hmm. And then Cabra Voltaire were coming out of the UK. Frob and Gristle were coming out of the UK. Um, and, I mean, UK, UK industrial is different to what, what industrial is now. It yeah. was more kind of um, more eclectic, almost slightly tongue-in-cheek, but at the same time quite dark and quite difficult. Yeah. Um, and then, yeah, yeah, I, I, what was it, German, um, um, DAF, obviously, coming out of Germany. Um, but they started to pioneer what's become EBM, you know, electronic body music. Yeah, that, that was something I wanted to ask you because yeah, you know, sure. I've been, I've been um, listening through uh, your uh, Spotify. Yeah. And um, what is the actual difference between like the UK industrial, like what you're doing nowadays and EBM? Because I'm a big fan of EBM, but... I, I couldn't really tell. I mean, like you got you got you got your uh, singing, yeah, you got your vocals and everything, but a lot of EBM got them too. But like the overall atmosphere, the bass sounds and everything, that sounded pretty like what I would think is EBM. So what did I miss? Yeah, no, you're right. I mean, I think in our in our genre, industrial kind of kind of moves slightly into slightly into EBM because you know for clubs and playing live. EBM is is great because it's it's just it just appeals to your same as your same as the harder 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 dance styles that you guys mm-hmm. champion. It just is you know it's it's straight it's straight hitting and the less stuff you have in the track, almost the better and the harder that track can be. You know yeah yeah. So people like Nitzareb in the UK, um, a classic classic EBM, certainly classic EBM. You know, he literally had. I'm not sure what what gear they were using, but anyway, it was just it was just a baseline with with with, with a four to the floor kick, and then you mm-hmm. know some sort of percussion off of it, and then you know those vocals. Um, so for us, yeah, we we we'd always been brought up on punk, so our principle was to make like a song like the fucking Beatles, you know, <laughs> right. where you've got like a, a bit of an intro. And then you've got like a, ver- a couple of verses and a chorus, you know, and then maybe, well, I suppose maybe you have a middle eight or you have a bit where it all, and then what well, you guys, because <laughs> you guys talk about the drop and all this stuff, you know. Right. Which is alien to us, but I know, I understand it. Obviously, I understand it. So we get like well, what we call a middle eight, you know, where you might get eight yeah. bars and then it comes back in and blah, blah, blah. But a lot of industrial threw away those conventions, but we, we stuck with it. We always felt comfortable in that, in that structure. And we always had we we always had a vocalist because when we played live, we didn't feel that what what we did was you know was great because we were stood. At, I mean nowadays no one gives a shit, do they? But when we started, <laughs> when we started, if you weren't flinging yourself around the stage playing guitars, you were like abnormal, yeah. you know. So yeah, so we we landed up using quite a lot of visuals behind us, mm-hmm. um, which we used um, in those days. We used Super 8 projection and um, Kodak carousels that were on a sync pulse, not to the music, but just synchronized. Yeah. Um, but that gave us good, good quality visuals behind us as a massive backdrop. And then Dean, the vocalist, would charge around the stage. So that was how we set ourselves up. But we've always been keen on doing ambient electronics as well, mm-hmm. but very darker ambient. Um, so our stuff, I guess, um, is um, kind of darker ambient. And then it's kind of... We call it sort of electro punky, I suppose. Um, through a background of, it, of UK industrial, because um, yeah. we did. There were some early industrial UK um, releases. There's Rising from the Red Sands that were cassette releases, 
very pivotal. And um, the, the, the Elephant Table, which was a double album, which had like, um, I think it had Chris and Cozy at that time, Portrait of SPK, Constructive It's, you know, all those, all those key players and some of the mm-hmm. American guys, Non, um, and Mark Pauline. Yeah. So we've kind of, we've sort of, we've come through those channels, if you like. And um, starting like all the way back with um, like really from tape and everything, when did uh, the computer as like the centerpiece of the production <laughs> process came into play? Yeah, we had the, the, the thing that we sequenced with and loved the most, I tell you, was the, it was a Roland box. I'm just going to mention this first. It was the, um, the MC202. Okay. It was, it was like the baseline, but a little bit easy to program. Mm-hmm. And what, what you could do with that is you think it had two sequences. So we used to put one bass, one bass note in like the left side or over the left side. And some another note playing off it, a counter to it on the right side. So one of our LPs called Step Forward has got lots of programming on the on the MC202. That was a really bollocks machine. It was brilliant. Yeah. But it had CV and gate out, so we could then, you know, feed our other synthesizers with it. Yeah. But our first foray into sequencing was pro. 24 on the Atari 1040. Yeah. Um, which and it was, was probably... just, just just a MIDI sequencer, right? Correct. It's what just the, MIDI. This wasn't capable of recording audio and playing back just MIDI data. Exactly. Yeah. And it tries descriptions calling it Pro 24 because you'd never get 24 fucking tracks out of it. You know, <laughs> it, it would like creak at, you know, yeah. five or six. But five or six was a luxury to us. Right. Because prior to that, we'd have to play stuff manually and, pro- and program stuff manually. Um, yeah. The one other interesting thing, or maybe interested or not, is, does this get edited? What do you think? Is this live out to the internet or do you edit no, it? No, 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 no. We're just recording and I'm going to edit it after. Okay, yeah. Because yeah. one other interesting story is we did a we did a session. We 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 used to get a little bit of radio in the UK, like back in the day, of course. And um, there was a guy, John Peel. Did it, do you know you'd never heard of John Peel? No. But no. He, he was a guy that used to play, right, all of the punk and all of the really hard reggae and all of, like, um, the mad scientist stuff, you know, hmm. all the sort of stuff which was absolutely fascinating. Um, and everyone used to tune into him who was into that style. And he played from 10 till midnight, John Peel. He never spoke over the tracks because he knew people would be recording it and, you know, making mixtapes. Okay. I'll tell you. We, anyway, um, so he 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 knew our stuff because we'd send him our records. And then he said to us, well, did we want to do a John Peel session? Well, for the BBC, a John Peel session was, like, fantastic. You went mm-hmm. to Maida Vale to a proper studio. Um, so we said, fine. But you had to re-record the material because the BBC insisted it was re-recorded. So it was original material. It could be old your songs you've already got, but you had to re-record them. Yeah. But what an opportunity for us to use a 24-track, a proper, you know, high-quality studio. So we said, yeah. So before you could go on the BBC, you had to join a musician's union because they wanted it was unionised. So we got sent yeah. this piece of paper, right? So we filled paper, of course. So we filled it in. And it put instrument. So I said to Dean and Ian, you know, the other two, I said, what am I fucking meant to put for that? Because it had like, you know, and then they said, well, put, put piano, because there was nothing on there synthesizer. It was all yeah, piano, yeah. clarinet, strings, right. whatever, the guitar, bass. So we, so anyway, I said, no, nah, I'm not putting piano because I can't play a piano. What happens, you know, I'll get exposed, you know. Yeah. Hopeless. 
So we sent it back without an instrument. And do you know what? We couldn't do the session. Because at that time, unless you were in the union, you couldn't do a session. And we, in the end, we put piano because we had to, to get our musicians union membership. And we did yeah. the session. That was fine. But about a week later, on top of the pops, you know, the UK big program at that time, mm. um, albeit it's discredited a bit now, uh, thanks to Jimmy Sell. But anyway, so top <laughs> of the pops. Yeah, so, so top of the pops went out. And Torch, um, what do you call it on it? Soft Cell were on it. And they did mm. that Torch song. Um, Dave Boulder, the keyboard player, mimed the saxophone solo, and whoa, it all blew up. Yeah, because it meant a session musician wasn't playing the saxophone. So you know, it was crazy. I mean, look where we are now. Right, right. Is is that you know, is that still the issue with the unions nowadays? Like that? Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Nothing like it. Yeah, but. They were desperate. They were desperate in those days to to yeah. keep drummers going, particularly because drum machines were beginning to, you know, really start to take over. Mm. Um, but it was like King Canute trying to hold the waves back. You know, just crazy, yeah. just crazy. Yeah, um, yeah. So, yeah. So, uh, what what are you using nowadays for for production? You still use hardware to this day, well, or is everything in a box right now? Well, we've we've always it, it's all in a box now, but we've always had the stance that we're absolutely anti music and anti the music industry, and we've never had any interest in it whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And every time we had a new synthesizer, we'd flog it to buy the next one. So we never kept any of our hardware. And yeah. and, and I meet bands. The amount of bands I meet now, if we do a festival, they all come up and say, oh, you guys, you know, you must love the analogue and all the rest of it. And I say to them, I fucking hate the analogue because it always drifted out of tune. Yeah, yeah. It was impossible trying to sync it all together. You know, you've got to, you know, I know you can save patches, but I just forget it. And always you know, broke down. It always broke down. It was pants. It was yeah. absolute garbage. You know, it wasn't because, because to be fair, those things sonically sound amazing. Yeah. But... You see, we we stopped we stopped because we gave up ourselves for a, quite a long period of time. And I bought, I think it was an Electron drum machine because I still dabbled, but we didn't do push control. We just rested it. Mm-hmm. I won't bore you with all the details of why. But then in 2004, I got in touch with a singer guy and I said to him, do you know what? I miss it. I miss being push control. It's a part, you know, it feels like it's a part of my me being creative and I really miss it. And um, he said, well, why don't we do something? And we had a friend that recorded. He was called Mordant Music, um, Ian Hicks, and he was quite good at engineering because at that point I hadn't really done it. All we'd done is studio work and so on. Yeah. Um, so we decided we met at the um, at the British Museum and they had a welcome exhibition, which welcome was uh, um, is like a, a medical, um, an old medical thing in England, you know, like quite strange experiments and all this connected to GSK and whatever. So we said, yeah, let's, let's call it, let's do a new release and let's call it Welcome. And this was 2004. Mm-hmm. And I said, the only condition I'll do it is that it has to be done on a laptop. Um, and that was a little bit of a struggle, but that's on Spotify. And we had so many people come up and no one believed that was all software. Yeah, it was way ahead ahead of time, like in 2004. Yeah, uh, it's especially laptops haven't been that powerful. I exactly, mean, yeah. exactly. But I said I don't want this stuff 
in my, you know, I don't want loads of keyboards and all this sort of shit yeah. everywhere, you know, let's just do it in the box. And um, But the other thing, I know you've spoken on your podcast about, about Reason and Reason being quite well. But as soon as that came out, the chance to drop Cubase was really good. Mm. And we went to Reason and I enjoyed Reason for a while, um, but I couldn't, couldn't quite couldn't quite get get the results we wanted out of it mm-hmm. um so i went back to cubase used cubase for a bit but cubase was so bloated with loads of midi stuff i wasn't interested in and you know what i really hate the most is fucking piano patches and and um string authentic string libraries yeah. and all that i mean obviously i'm not going to buy the bloody things but i don't want them you know yeah. Anyway, and um, Cubase was sort of a bit like that. You know, there's a little picture of a piano sometimes for a keyboard. What the, you know, that so I, I just went off it. And then Ableton, I went to Ableton. I don't mm. know what number, maybe six or so. Um, and it sort of blew my mind, Ableton. You know, where you, know, where you could like unlink, unlink envelopes and stuff. And, yeah. And the whole principle of the, of the racks and the, and I really loved Ableton. And I thought, if you're an electronic musician, Ableton is like the panacea. And right. I loved it. But I got fed up with Ableton for two reasons, right? We, I landed up going to a PC, but I got fed up with the laptop. So I went to a PC and a couple of monitors. And Ableton never did two monitors for a long time. Mm. And Ableton really pissed me off because when when you want something, when you want able to do to do something, it seems that they dig their heels in and don't. So I landed up in the end going to Bitwig. Um, okay. But I tell you, Bitwig is like it was better than Ableton, um, but then they go to subscription, and I'm not paying. I'm not paying two hundred quid a year to update for like you know. Oh, you get a new, um, you know, you get a new amp model, or you know, it wasn't enough. Okay, I know they've got all the modular stuff in it, but Bitwig was really good. What, what, what were the fundamental differences between the well, Bitwig and Ableton? our workflow? Right, our workflow a lot of the time is the kick drum and the bass, right, stay in MIDI and they're pristine. They're the, they're the only two elements in the track that we really give a shit about, right? Right. The rest of the stuff, if you call it pads, leads, plucks, right? They can, they're fucking, they can be, they're normally so heavily affected and rendered down that they don't sound like the original patch. Mm-hmm. So what annoys me in Ableton is that you can't, um, you can't easily bounce. So imagine you've got, imagine you've got your drum track and you just want to snare on one hit. In Ableton, you know, you've got freeze it, flatten it, you know, it's just crap. And if you go to Bitwig, you can you can mix audio and MIDI on the same track. Yeah. So imagine you've got that snare playing, you put the effect on it, you bounce out that snare, and then it goes back to the MIDI. So you can mix audio and MIDI on the same track. So you can do little, you can do little, you know, microscopic effects and render it out um, alongside your source MIDI. So yeah. workflow-wise, fantastic. Yeah. yeah, you can also easily reverse, for instance, like a snare oh, or something. Abs- oh, absolutely. Yeah. All the time stretching, all yeah. the reversing, all the micro edits, all the off-the-grid yeah. stuff. I don't think Bitwig falls short of what Ableton does. Mm. 
But I will say there's something fundamental about Ableton that drew me back. I'm back on Ableton now. So I jump between Bitwig. If I'm sound designing Bitwig, mm-hmm. and then I'll bounce back to Ableton. I mean, like mixing in Ableton isn't great, is it? No, not really, but... You get used to it. Yeah, I mean, like once you figured it out, uh, now, nowadays I th- feel like... In the beginning, it was very terrible because I came from Logic, and there yeah. you have like your channels with, you know, like in Cubase, you know, with the inserts and everything. Like the which looks old, like a, which looks like an old-fashioned mixer. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Which is how we're brought up. Yeah, yeah, but that was weird to move to Ableton, where you don't have like this classical mixer view. Yeah. But now I'm so used to it. Now I find it sometimes even annoying if I mix something in Logic and sure. I got always to even like for the internal plugins, I got to open a new window because that's a cool thing in Ableton. You load in the queue and you see it right away. There is no additional window. It's it's just there. You know, you just uh, yeah. there. Yeah. So I yeah, guess I mean, it's, that, it's more like, you know, of being used to it, right? Yeah, yeah, I guess. I mean, I, I, must, I must admit, I do like Ableton. And like you say, nowadays with mixing anyway, you can spend so long and minutely, obviously, total recall saving. So you can minutely create your mix anyway. Right. Um, I wish it had gain on the track. I wish it had gain, though, on the actual timeline as opposed to the sample, if you see what I mean. Yeah, if yeah. If you could tweet... You know, it's those little, it's just just those little tweaks that, that, but I know that everybody says to Ableton do it, but I mean, the thing is, you've seen Ableton 11. Yeah, yeah, I've seen, I've seen the news about it, yes. Yeah, but you know what, they've only got Spitfire Audio to do loads of libraries, and I don't want that shit. You know, how many, <laughs> how many electronic producers that are using Ableton want all that? You know, yeah, I, know I don't can... know. I mean, I was always like, oh, like, like you, you know. I know in our music, a lot of guys are very big fans of like this kind of orchestral stuff. Mm. I always didn't get the point. I was like, I'm making electronic music, so I don't. If I use strings, I fuck them up in a way that they don't sound like strings anymore, and I make it yeah, obvious that like it wasn't intended to sound like a real orchestra. No. <laughs> so, but it, but the point is, it hasn't got to be the top quality. It hasn't got to be the London Philharmonic that you're fucking up, has it? It could be any strings. Right. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. Yeah. But you know, in in terms of like what you said about the um, clip gain. I got a way around. I got a default track. Uh, like I saved the default track. Every time I load a new audio or MIDI track, I got the utility tool already loaded up as the first plugin. And I use that one for my gain staging, you know, so I don't need to go in every clip and pull it down or up. I got like right the same. first plugin. It's yeah, just I'm, the utility. I'm, I, I, use, I use it exactly the same. Yeah. Um, and that obviously that, that makes good sense. And in fact, I think I've got the Klanghelm VU meters. Mm-hmm. That's really good. That's got gain on it as well. Yeah. So I can with that a bit like your clip um, clip gain trick. You can use the V. You can use the Klanghelm to gain stage, and you've got the beauty of having a VU meter to gain stage against. If you see what I'm saying. Yeah. Um... I'm not too much a fan of VU meters. I grew right. up. I grew up already with like the peak meters, you know. Right, okay, 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 okay. Yeah, you can get Clang Hamill do peak as well, you know. Yeah, yeah those are those are really good. I tried their free plugins. They got like a couple of free compressors and like one sort of distortion saturation thing. They're really good. Really good and yeah. very com- very competitively priced. 
Yeah, I mean, some of them are free, and they're yes, really good. Quite, 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 yeah. and they're nothing. Yeah, there's nothing. They are good. They are good. Yeah, I have to say. So, yeah. are you are you using any hardware nowadays at all? Um, not no, not really. I mean, I've I've bought the odd box over the years. I bought a Digitact mm -hmm. just to because I I like the idea of being untethered from the computer. So I'd sit on the sofa and you know. Just relax with that thing. Um, it's, it's it's something like an NPC, right? Some yeah, some... it's like an NPC, but it's it's the electronics. The guys in Sweden, and it is quite yeah. um, it's quite it's quite sort of IDM. You know, it's quite it, it's quite good because you can do like little micro edits on each yeah. beat. You can um, I forget what they call it now. It's like um, but every single sort of every single step you can change all the parameters and so it's very good for sort of glitchy mm -hmm. um yeah but it's mono the effects are stereo but the actual yeah. samples are mono but it doesn't really matter um, so you're kind of getting ideas there or yeah, yeah creating it's quite a, te a techno-y kind of box you know yeah and then they do they they have software called Overbridge, which brings it into the computer, and your Digitac virtually becomes a VST plugin, and it works especially well with Ableton, nice. because Ableton and Digitac obviously are on the same kind of wavelength, you know. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I've got that. Use that. I did have an MPC, but I never. Which Their which one you had? From, pardon. Which one you had? Which MPC? I've got the live. Live, okay. So it's just like the box, but it's standalone. So it's just yeah. a battery. So I thought that'd be quite good just to stand in a fucking field and do something, you know. But yeah. I've never, never really gone outdoors with a bloody thing. Have you seen the live too? That seems interesting because it has also uh, a speaker already built in. Yeah, which that's is right. supposed yeah. to be really good. Yeah. So, yeah, I'm kind of interested in that thing. It's, uh, it seems to be very interesting, like a standalone sequencer sampler with a speaker exactly. internal and a exactly. battery already. That's pretty cool. Exactly. And if you like, if you like the pads, if you like the pads, MPC, nobody beats it for pads. Right. It's absolutely fantastic. I mean, that's what they've got down, isn't it? You know, they've got yeah. that re really bolted down. Well, doing it since the late 80s, so when did the first one yeah. came out. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> so yeah. they are far mm. ahead from all yeah, the others. Exactly. Yeah. But what's also interesting is in the standalone, originally it was a sample, my box was a sampler when I first bought it, mm -hmm. but they slowly added some actual plugins, which is quite intriguing. They're quite modest, mm -hmm. and you know, they come up on your screen. And um, so there's like a little bass liney one. There's yeah. a kind of a polyphonic -y synth one. Might be a string one, I don't know. Yeah, but. I know I know that my god. Uh, you know, they 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 released like the free version MPC beats. It's like it's, oh, it's, right. it's the software just stripped down from the actual big one. Right. So you can only do like eight programs and stuff, but they got the synths there. Yeah. Well, synths are all right, but they're yeah. not like no. <laughs> like no, exactly, the, yeah. exactly, exactly. But sometimes when I'm using an MPC, I'm not a hip hopper, am I? I don't want to just hear like a, I don't want to hear like a, a dusty, you know, dusty record loop and just, mm -hmm. you know, stick drums in. At least with that, you can put a bass line that maybe, you know, is a, is a, is a guide for you or something. I don't yeah. know. Anyway, sell the MPC because my biggest, our biggest problem is our drums are so straightforward because I can't be doing with messy drums, you know. So having the MPC and all the little micro bits and that, you know, I'll end up not using it because, right. you know, 
we're, we're not trying to be clever. We're trying to be fucking, we're, we're trying to be punk, I suppose. You know, we're just trying to knock it out. Yeah. What's how most much, important? Go on. Oh, uh, how much, how much um, of uh, sound design you do for drums and in, in your music? Are you just going like for some sample and uh, just uh, process it? Or do you also go like in our music, like for a kick drum from an init sound and create it from scratch? Like how, how, how important is like the sound design in terms of drums? In terms of drums, um, I think we use a mixture to be fair. Mm -hmm. I normally land up, we, we always, we never use the same samples. And I don't know why we don't actually. I think we must be a bit mad. I listen to your podcast and I think, why aren't we doing that? Why aren't we using our, but we don't. We seem to start with like almost like a blank sheet every song. Yeah. Because we don't, well, I don't tend to know. We're, yeah. I mean, obviously, you've got to set a fucking tempo. Um, yeah. So, drum wise, I use a combination of, um, Black Octopus sample packs, to be honest. Mm -hmm. They give you like a sample pack with some quite good, quite good, quite hard tunes, but they're all tuned. So they'll be they'll be my body generally. Mm -hmm. um, and then I'll use um, that combined with I quite like the um the kick two mm -hmm. um VST. Uh I think who makes that. You know that one? Sonic Academy. That's I think. it. That's it. Yeah, the yeah. Sonic Academy one. That that can give you a synthesized, nice sharp attack yeah. and a nice sub. So perhaps I'll blend that with the with the middle section of a of of maybe one of the octopus pack or the old vengeance. I mean, I've got the old vengeance samples from Donkey's years. Yeah, but the vengeance sample, um, um, yeah, any of those club vengeance sample packs are yeah, all right, you know. They're still relevant today, you know. Exactly. Yeah, they, they never go out of fashion. They never go out of fashion. But this, this is my point of saying to you when I listen to your podcast, because I keep saying to people, you know, whenever I talk to other bands, I mean, they always, they'll always ask us because they know we've got some experience, but we don't pretend we know what we're doing any more than any more now than we did then. You know, there must be something slightly wrong with us. But, but what I'm saying is, it's no hard and fast rules for any of this shit. And the other thing is, take something like, I mean, I'm not saying, take something like the Beatles or the Rolling Stones, right? That stuff yeah. was recorded on four tracks right? and was bounced then, you know, once they got the drums done, it was bounced down to one track and then added the guitar and added the bass, right? This is that shit loud now, right? It's fine, isn't it? What's the problem? That was, that was analog to analog tape, right. you know, absolute shit. They were wasted when they did it. You know, the studios were on a timer. It's, but it's 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 more the character and the spirit that's important. Yeah. Forget the pristine um, production. Um, you know, if it's shit, it's going to be shit, whatever you do, isn't it? Yeah. You know, concentrate on spirit and concentrate on getting stuff into your tracks which add character because it's only the character that will make you different to anybody else. It's so true. It's so true. Yeah. I mean, I, I really, I do think that's right. And because the other thing is that what I've noticed is all the synth manufacturers, they all make patches that sound like, I don't know the character, I don't know all the individuals, but, you know, you get sound packs that sound like another producer. Yeah. So then you're using it. So you're using someone else's pack that sounds like someone else in your music. You know, so where's, where does the character of your stuff, where are you going to hope that it comes from? Yeah. You know, not going to come from the drums. It's not going to come from the synth batches. You know, you probably haven't got a vocalist. 
you know, you could be taping. You can't even tape anything anymore because of um, copyright. So it's going to be old, you know, old shit 70s movies about <laughs> yeah. copyright. For the, yeah. for the you know, the, the funny thing is, like, uh, a lot of times, um, you know, some producer just uh, picks a couple of presets, throws them together, fucks around with them, makes a cool sound, makes a record. Then maybe the sound designer from whom he used the presets to make that sound gets back to that and recreates that sound to, like, put it in the synth library or something exactly exactly <laughs> yeah. it's, it's one big recycled pot isn't it yeah yeah it is it is it's a massive recycled pot i mean i bought a few sample packs over the years you know i know i mentioned vengeance and the black octopus which are quite right but i bought other sample packs and i'm always disappointed yeah you know i, I don't know why i bother buying anymore but occasionally i'll have a look loot masters will say you know 80 off and i'll think oh i'll buy one you know i don't yeah. know what it is You know, and I buy it, and it's like there's like one or two bits maybe, but I think, why am I doing it? You know, when it, when we have in front of us all the tools, even stock Ableton, to be fair, you can create perfectly good, you know, quality, you know, high quality music with a laptop and Ableton. Yeah, absolutely. Um, have you have you um, played around with the wavetable synth in um, Ableton? Yeah, yeah, I like the wavetable synth. I like Got Serum as well. Yeah. Um, I like Serum. I'll tell you why I like Serum because I love when the effects are built into the synth. Mm -hmm. And I love that. I love that. Uh, um, the OTT compression, you know. Yeah. <laughs> you know, how can you not like that? Yeah. So you got that with distortion, with a bit of EQ, uh, maybe a bit of, bit of, you know, flanging, phasing, chorus, whatever. Um, you know. You got that whip thing as well, whatever they call it, their proprietary whip thing. That's the yeah, top of yeah, this yeah. dimension. And yeah, that's yeah, it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. I mean, you know, get your headphones on and mess about with the effect. In fact, in fact, to be honest with you, right, I use we use Serum for the effects more than I use the actual synth. Yeah, me too. <laughs> yeah, because it's yeah, it's fantastic at shaping yeah. other synths. Yeah, really absolutely. fantastic. What It's else? What else are you using in terms of synths? My all-time favorite. Plug-in synth has to be Omnisphere pair, paired with Trillion. Mm -hmm. Absolutely first class. The bass is on Trillion. I mean, I've come from Juno 106, SH09, um, and when we recorded in studios, we used to use whatever kit was there. So it'd be Sequential Circuits Pro Ones, yeah. Oberheims. You know, I've been through all of that stuff. And the first thing I do, the first thing I always do is, is head for bass sounds. We had yeah. a Mook Rogue, you know. First thing we got on it was like a slightly detuned, you know, unison bass patch. Bass is our thing. We absolutely, you know, um, not so much the sort of squirrely LFOE basses, but yeah. fat, yeah. solid. Bit FM, AM, analog, so what? Anyway, um, Trillion comes so close to, to delivering those fat basses. It is awesome. Yeah. And they've just got a new update. Actually, literally a few days ago, it dropped. It's, I think it's Trillium 1.5. They seem to leave it unloved for a long time and suddenly they've bought out. Mm. But it's free, you know. That's amazing. I bought Trillium back in, you know, whenever it came out. It's it's really old, right? It's really old. Yeah. But I'll tell you what, if you want to hear good fat basses get up, and and thin basses yeah. and, and it, you know, even sort of gnarly, that thing does everything. It does wavetable. Um It does um, granular. It's very, very good. And the filters in it are top-notch. They've got yeah. all the Moog filters, all different ladders. It, it's just, honestly, 
And it, like, and the last thing they've been doing is they've been trying to model. They're trying to model. Um, you've seen that when they model hardware, mm-hmm. but it it all matches to your um, trillion. So you're literally turning a trillion, and it's matching with your hardware, and it's but it's all done software as well. It's just, honestly, it blows me away how good that is. Mm-hmm. The other massive advantage of trillion and Omnisphere is they're so light on CPU because they're so fucking old. Yeah. Where, where I used to struggle with a few instances, I've bought a new computer fairly recently. Um, it's an i9. It's, you know, super fast, um, plenty of RAM. It's just, you know, I can have a track with serums, Omnispheres, you know, lo- obviously loads of effects because effects are my thing really. But, yeah, no problem. Yeah, it's, it's always amazing, isn't it? <clears throat> like 10 years ago, I had like um, like a crappy old MacBook, like, you know, the white plastic yeah. one. And I could still like have like a full session with 120 tracks and logic and I could still play it through uh, like 10 years ago. Nowadays, like with the newest MacBook and everything, like I load a couple of uh, synths and everything and it's already like, yeah already like pretty much down Creaking. you know yeah I it's, know. it's crazy like you would think like the computers got like 20 times better than like 10 years ago yeah but it seems like you can still do the same shit even less like you know i know, I know. <laughs> same as you i and i'm slightly obsessed i'm obsessed i'm obsessed by two things right number one is hard disk space if i ever see one of my hard drives go past halfway i'll start panicking and having like apoplexy Right. The other thing that I always panic about is that fucking thing in the corner that tells me my percentage, you know. Yeah. I know in 11, I'm going to be even worse because in 11, you can like look at individual tracks and their, yeah, yeah, their, their yeah. effects on the CPU. Yeah. So I'm going to be spending longer looking at that than writing anything. Me I'll too. Be, yeah, me too. Absolutely. But it'd be interesting to see the culprits, though, like you say. You know, it'd be interesting to see what, what things are taxing it and what things aren't. Right. What I also find very weird, um, I don't remember that I had so many issues with latencies like 10 years ago. Nowadays, no. I put the buffer size down to the minimum. I don't have like any plugins with look ahead or anything, but yeah. I, I still feel it when I play the keyboard. I still feel some latency. You know, if I walk down to my little digital piano, I play, it, mm. it's instant. But yeah. Um, that's, that's also something I don't remember those issues 10 years ago. And back then, like I had a power core and this old stuff, which kind of introduced a little bit of latency, but it seemed to be much smoother for some reason. Yeah, of course. Oh, <laughs> I, I agree. I, I think the problem is, is that the programming is sloppy, aren't they? They don't, they don't optimize the code enough now. Yeah. You know, they're too quick. And the other thing is the cult and the new, they want to get stuff out. I mean, yeah. is that vital synth? Have you seen that? A new way That vital, mm. it's a new wave table synth. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Some po- someone posted it in the Facebook group. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it's kind of kind of a f- they got a free version, right? Some that's some, right. Some stripped down free version. Yeah. Yeah, and then there's a then there's a modest paid version, like twenty five dollars. Yeah. And then there's like an eighty dollars, and then there's a pay monthly, you know, yes. thing, you know. Yeah, um, but that that one looked pretty much like like a serum. Looked exactly, like very it much inspired like, by serum. Yeah, yeah, very much so. Yeah, yeah. That's, yeah. A, that's actually comes out today. But it'd be interesting with that to see how that copes on a modern, how that copes, you yeah. know, on a modern sort of computer with CPU usage. Yeah, I tell you what, I have like um, from Plugin Alliance, they released like this. Uh, 
Knifonium thing that's kind oh, of fun. Oh, I know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this one sounds amazing, but yeah, yeah. You, you, you load two oscillators, play a note, and my CPU is already at 30%. Like, oh, I was gonna, you know what? I've got, I've got that ring fenced as a, because I, I quite like, I quite like, um, Audio Alliance. I think I bought the, the Oberhausen, is it? The BX yeah, Oberhausen. Yeah, 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 yeah. That That's one quite, is also good, but that also is quite heavy on the CPU. Quite heavy on CPU, yeah, yeah. yeah. I quite like yeah. that SEM, you know, that's like, that sort of slightly, you know, yeah, that sounds sort of... also really good for bass sounds, right? I've been yeah, playing it's not around bad. with that. Like it sounds sounds pretty analog, actually. Yeah, it does. It does. Yeah. It sounds quite modular as well. It can, you know, yeah. quite nice. Quite nice. I quite like as well with the presets. Have you seen that where you can like play on the presets and it just yeah plays a bit and advances? So I can just sort of sit back and relax. And it's quite cool. Yeah, yeah. So quite like that. But the other thing on plugin alliance that um, I'm quite a big fan of is the unfiltered audio. Mm. Um, and they do they do effects, but they do one called Triad. Yes. And have you seen that? Yeah. Yeah. So obviously it splits the bands. Um, but the clever thing is that it, it analyzes and it, it shifts the bands to balance the sound. You know, and you can. Uh, it's very very good. Yeah. Because what what I, I quite like looked the into that too much now. I, I got I got all of them. I got like the subscription and. Um... Oh crikey. Uh, <laughs> but i haven't haven't looked into that because it's it's also unbelievable i mean once i got a subscription it's been like 100 new plugins all of them are good and since then they added already like 20 new ones you know so it's like hard to keep up with all those plugins exactly exactly yeah, yeah i know i mean I, i've looked at the subscription but there's too many compressors that i could i couldn't if i use one a day i'd, I'd be enough to see me you out need years years yeah, yeah. i'm years, still, I'm still so. not 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 through all the channel strips to be honest and they got Crikey. like 10 but yeah. like yeah i'm just um yeah they added like the ssl 9000 channel strip yeah. recently yeah, yeah. i tried around with that and yeah now now i'm just using that if i need a channel strip so i don't even bother the, right. the, then you know then there is like the um like the way you work with it it's getting more important they got like this focus right channel strip which is really right. good yeah my, in my opinion it's it's like a little bit weird to like the 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 workflow with it like the interface the user interface it's of course. Not like it's not like as handy and as easy so then i tend to stick to something which might sound kind sim kind of similar but it's easier to work with it or yes. faster yeah yeah but coming back to the trillion and omnisphere thing um the reason I the reason I really like that as well is because they have all the they've got an effects. It's a bit looks a bit it's a bit crap visuals, but it's like an old fashioned rack. It looks yeah. a bit pants. But the actual quality of the effects is excellent. Yeah. But on top of that, they've got an arpeggiator or, or a sequencer, really, not an arpeggiator. Um, but it runs along, you know, like the old Starly sixteen little. But you mm -hmm. can you can make that you can obviously make that whatever length you like. And they've just added ratcheting. You know, so you get like a little triplet on one of the one of the notes, and you can slide and obviously add whatever note. But what I'm saying is, get trillion and get a bass in it, and just restrict it to four beats and just get a little, you know, get the velocity, get it a little bit funky. It's fantastic, yeah. you know. And I will tend to render that out, but you know, if not, and ah, oh, it is so good. I think if you really want to do. Um, you know, I don't know about you guys because you guys are a bit different. You need samples. How do you, what do you do about bass? Serums and 
Well, in, in most cases, we don't have a base. Like we don't the kicks, have a kick. the, the kicks are so long and they <laughs> take up the whole spectrum. There is course, no, yeah. no no base actually. No, no, just no, a long no. distorted kick. Yeah. Yeah, 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 yeah. So like the like techno, where you have the yes, sort of the, yes. Uh, the tail that dr drifts. Yeah, the I think I think then then there is also something about like you know your music because every time I hear it, I'm like, yeah, it's fucking awesome. Like those awesome bass sounds and stuff because you know if you do like this kick music for too long you kind of miss a little bit also like the synth basses and stuff because of course we don't really use them too much of course there are like ways you can use them but it's not the same way like you know in in your case where you got like the kick and then there's like a bass groove going on that's not something we are doing too not much sorry that, no yeah. no no i mean i hear that i mean i listen to some of the i listen to some of the stuff i've listened to some of your the other guys and what they talk about and mm. it's funny because we're all like i remember meeting other bands and we'd chat and everyone was using different hardware really you know okay you might have the junos and you know but somebody else would be more overheim and someone else would say oh no cool you know it has to be cool or it has to be right. moved or whatever but now right you just say serum silent um it's the same shit and everyone's using the same yeah what do you think yeah. Yeah. Same sample packs, like we said, Vengeance, you know, Black Octopus, and, you know, it's the same simps, even Omnisphere and Trillion. I mean, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of um, weird, right? Yeah, um, it is. I, I, I always remember, like, you know, it was always like, even when I was still a kid, like, I remember the DJs uh, hit the uh, labels on their records, and people been like looking for that one synth, guitar players been looking for that one amp with like that pedal and stuff to make their own sound. So everybody was like looking for something nobody has and trying exactly. to find something. Now, like, you have everything at your fingertips, you know, like, there's like pretty much every cent you can imagine you get it like for 150 euro you know yes and everybody's using the same shit <laughs> yeah exactly everybody's using the same shit but yeah. i suppose the thing is i suppose the thing is alex that the the best rise to the top don't they yeah now, it's hard for me to argue about serum silent what well, i can't resist it what's the point mm. they are great They are great machines, and they are, you know, as I say, Om um, Omnisphere. I mean, Omnisphere gives you so many sounds. But, see, yeah. for our music, that's great because we can always find those sort of quirkier, ambient-y. For sound design, it's absolutely top class. Yeah. Now, obviously, obviously, all these people doing computer game soundtracks and trailers and all that, you know, that's they're, they're the boys that are using Omnisphere, and I hear, you hear it all the time. Yeah. You know, you, you talk about producers using presets but we had one experience where we going back but we signed with london records and we had a we did get a sort of record it never came to anything but we got put in a studio we had arthur baker you know the new york sort of hip-hop guy and mm -hmm. he came to do the production and we'd we'd got in the studio before him because he was expensive to come along you know so he was like half a day he was going to do his magics kind of yeah. if, if you like We'd go in the studio and we'd put like a Roland sync code down because in those days you had to put the code down to the tape mm. and then the machines would hear the code and obviously latch on. Um, and the first thing he did when he came in, he says, oh, fucking hell, what's that? <laughs> and then the next thing he's done is like, is like gated, gated and sequenced the sync code. You know, we said to him, the machines aren't going to stay in time, you know. Yeah. He, he, he was off, you know. He was being Arthur Baker. Yeah. So, yeah. so how did it turn out? Oh, well, bad, really. Yeah, it, just, it was horrible, right? <laughs> yeah, it all just, it all, 
it we it, that was our only foray into um where we had a manager and that that manager um gave us an advance but he took money off us to pay mm-hmm. for us to go into the recording studio mm-hmm. and we sort of thought why is he why is he like taking money off us to go into recording because you know we're losing money we could be spending on recording you see what i mean yeah. We sort of thought his cut might have come you know, after the costs. And anyway, it was just, it was all a bit of a nightmare. It all sort of fell apart. We felt so uncomfortable. We were exposed because we're not musicians and we've never pretended to be. You know, if we play live, it's only um, kind of sequenced and stuff. Yeah. So, um, yeah, we felt exposed and difficult. And yeah, it sort of fell apart. That's why we stopped for all those years. And then once we felt comfortable and could produce the stuff ourselves. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I guess it was um, back in the day. It was also hardly impossible, right, to really produce yourself. Because yeah, you would have to like spend a fortune to buy like the tape machines and yes. like, the effects exactly. and everything. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah, that's that's also something which is pretty great about like what's going on nowadays, you know, because I definitely know a lot of guys who've been around in the 90s and stuff. And they've been always saying like, it was more money game, you know, like, yeah, you could have the most talent, but if you don't have that 909 or if you don't have that Alpha Juno, yeah. you go nowhere. But yeah. to have that, you have to buy it. So what you gonna do, you know? So, uh Yeah, those people who had money, they could definitely make more than uh, those who had. Nowadays, everybody got a computer and uh, like an Ableton or whatever doll you choose. It's not that expensive and you're ready to go. Like that's a, an even play field. There's like no excuse for anybody. It's like, yeah, but he got a money or he got this. That was a different thing back then. But nowadays it's, it's not an argument anymore that like somebody can't do something because he's lacking money. Exactly, I to- I totally agree. And from our point of view, when we think back to what our what our roots were, which is kind of punk, it was like anyone can do anything, and they should. So, I mean, you know, people say to me, "Oh, what about the demise of CDs?" You know, and I say, "Good riddance." You know, I don't care about any of this stuff. You know, yeah. they say, "Oh, but we can't." You know, we don't get the revenue we used to get, and oh, well, so what? You know, I yeah. I just, I don't really care about any of that. I mean, I have to say, though, we, we did, <laughs> some years ago, we did this thing called Onion Jack. It was just like a kind of a bit of a weird sort of ambient thing. But I did 30, it was 30 minutes long. We did it as a download and we sold it for what was £4.99. Mm-hmm. And quite a few people I saw on you know, forums and bits of pieces said, you know, four ninety nine, it's a lot of money for a download. And everyone was moaning. And yeah. and it's like, it's like this CDP that we're doing now. It's five tracks has taken us like, You know, it does take us a long time because we fiddle about for so long with it all. Yeah. And when, and when we finish a track, we don't finish a track. We call it abandon it because we just leave it. Because once it's released, we sort of abandon it. And then we're on to the next one. Mm-hmm. But so it's worked on and loved. And then it's suddenly abandoned. And anyway, so this seed thing has taken us so long to do. And we sell it for four quid. I mean, what the? It cost me more than that for a cup of coffee. Right, yeah. You know what I mean? You have a coffee and not half a cake and it's cost you more than four quid. Mm. It's hard. And the thing, the other thing is I see people making sample packs. I see people making synth patches, right? A hundred synth patches. Synth patches, 35 quid. 
Yeah, people yeah, still I, complaining. I, I, I'm doing them too. And it's like, yeah, you make 128 presets. Um, that's like a good month for full-time work if you make them right. Yeah. And like, yeah, selling them for 30 euro and people like really complaining, asking me, oh, I'm a student, you know, can you give it to me for free? <laughs> I said like, dude, I was a student. I worked my nights at like at nightclubs and shit. And during the day I was like still studying, you know, so it's like I know definitely a lot more people who spend more money on a couple of drinks on, exactly. a, on, a, on a given Saturday than that. And I mean, like here we talk about like, 160 to 200 hours of work of course yeah it's uh, I, oh, I sometimes i find it like really insulting you know <laughs> yeah yeah so it's, i mean it's hard isn't it i think i think for obviously new new people coming coming into music now i mean i, I don't know because our, our route was to be a band per se you know i mean now that sounds old-fashioned i guess and it yeah. i don't know i mean i suppose there's still those people that do that but um it's it's hard, isn't it? To know where the money's made, but money is made, obviously, because you know it's made on Spotify and yeah, on downloads and you know. So yeah, I guess if you don't really hit it big, which is um, a privilege which only a few people have, um, mm. I guess for the most people it's a combination of everything right it's a little bit of um spotify it's um also what you get from the performance uh, yeah. royalties um yeah it's um maybe from from your uh, gigs so yeah. I, for for a lot of people it's a combination of things then they sell exactly. maybe a couple of t-shirts uh, maybe they uh, teach somebody how to produce a little bit. Maybe they make yeah. a sample pack. So for 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 the majority of people, I would say it's kind of a combination of things. Yes, I agree. Yeah, which totally kind agree. of supports their living. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah. No, I agree. I mean, we can't complain because we've never. It's never been our full time jobs because mm-hmm. we always felt that we couldn't really be true to true true to what we did if we had to support us. Because then we'd have to sort of prostitute ourselves out almost you know so we yeah. just we just do what we do and if it if it's modest then it's modest and so what yeah but you know it's it's got us around most of the world and you know we're, we're perfectly content and we do what we want to do and it, we don't have any you know it's all self-produced the website's done everything we just do it because mm. we've done all the re- we've done all the the records we've done all the you know trying to trying to trying to sort of be more commercially uh, or you know trying to get those sort of deals and you know mm-hmm. but then but yes but then when i when i think back right and like we dean and ian or whatever we chat to ourselves you know what bands do we know that have come from our genre that have ever made it to a bigger level you know there isn't really anyone you no know? it's a, it's a niche market so yeah it's like exactly you, it's not not like you're gonna get like major radio airplay or you would have gone to top of the pops in the 90s or something exactly. you know? like that's not gonna exactly. happen with like it's the same like what we do you know with yeah. like the whole heart style and whatever like you're not gonna go Isn't on the radio you're not gonna go on the charts or anything like that exactly. it's never gonna happen no it's never gonna happen in fact, the only band the only band i remember was SPK, which was um, mm-hmm. Graham Ravel. Um, he was an American, but um, he lived near us in Kennington in London, and um, he did this thing called Metal Dance, and that went on to sort of top of the yeah. But he was a really pushy character, Graham Ravel. I don't know whether you know him now, but 
he does like um, big film soundtracks and stuff. So okay. he was always very pushy, always very confident, um, clever chap. And you know, he's made his he's made his mark in films. Yeah. Um, but we're we're just we're just meek, normal. Yeah. Meek, normal people. We're not we're not forceful enough. Yeah. For this industry to give us a living, so we don't expect we don't expect it to. Fuck's sake, you know we yeah. just do our music. We like doing our music, and that's it. Yeah, and that's yeah. Now, now, now that I'm thinking, there been some people in the Netherlands in the charts, like with hard style, but <laughs> the <laughs> Netherlands there that's also like closer to like pop music. Like the the, yeah, the sure. people over there are really into that stuff. So it's like yeah, yeah, more, yeah more common like here yeah 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 like yeah a lot of i was gonna say when we first when we first started playing germany um the, the netherlands belgium were always good territories mm. but for industrial now netherlands hardly at all yeah belgium still germany berlin Ger you know. germany is still going on right yeah like, germany is still yeah. still fine you've got those big you've got amphitheater yeah uh, amphifest um cologne do big big things um yeah germany's still good but i don't know why the, the netherlands sort of was good but now seems to yeah i also bet um for for the majority who listen exactly to this podcast they will think of some completely different type of industrial because there is some industrial hardcore which has nothing to do with what you're doing no which is like <laughs> super hard shit <laughs> so, um but yeah yeah so that's that's kind of uh, i think what uh industrialists nowadays in the netherlands because they're like there is like this industrial hardcore that's pretty big over there yeah of course yeah. and industrial in america means different because in america it's like skinny puppy ministry mm. it's more it's more merged with sort of rock you know yeah um, so it's more guitar based but those heavier tones yeah it's 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 still weird like i think it feels like in every genre there is some industrial form you know because um you know you, you know the german band rammstein right they're also considered industrial but mm. in, in the heavy metal direction, you know, so there's also yeah. industrial metal, there's industrial hardcore and like the kind of EBM, industrial techno. So there's like, uh, yeah, it's a little bit too much of industrial. You, you can really get lost in, in that because <laughs> in every... Yeah. yeah. And, and, and the other thing is you're always close to the genre that you're, that you're in, aren't you? Yeah. So it's like, It's like, you know, UK industrial from a gristle coil. Um, yeah. Um, it's that seems to me to be industrial. So I always find it perplexing when I hear techno, like you say, you know, all yeah. the, all the spin off his stuff. But, but as you say, the genre thing's completely crazy, isn't it? Yeah. I mean, we've is. always ignored it completely. Um, but there's another. There's other bands. Of sort other bands that I've known over the years have flirted with it a bit. So they might have flirted a little bit with sort of drum and bass and mm -hmm. you know some of these other things. But we've always sort of stuck to our guns. So it's always been sort of mid tempo, quite straightforward, kind of punky. Um, you know, always end songs badly if we can. So yeah, it's a. But I don't know. I, I I don't follow the genres. I mean, if you look on YouTube, I mean, oh, it's like there's a new one every single second. And yeah, it's it's also sometimes confusing because um, you know you kind of um, 
hear a song of a certain genre so you find out what the genre is that's why it was also my question in the beginning like what's the difference between like you know your music which is kind of uk industrial and like ebm because like you know i hear a certain song and i found out it's ebm and it's like i love it so let me go on spotify look for some ebm uh playlists mm -hmm. and listen to that and then i hear the first couple of playlists and that's nothing like what i've been looking for and then i hear the fourth playlist and it's like yeah that's the shit that, <laughs> that's the stuff i was looking yeah. for so you you got a million of genres to really um separate like the little details of every kind of 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 every element in a genre but at the end it's still getting so confusing and you're still not finding what you're looking for in a specific genre sometimes at least yeah. like it feels to me like that yeah no i i totally agree i mean the ebm thing i think was coined by um, I think that might have been Front 242 from the from the Netherlands that coined mm. that phrase. So they're about the same period as us, you know, very early yeah. 80s. And, um, but their stuff was always, you know, fairly straightforward drums, big bass line and virtually, virtually nothing else. So, yeah, yeah they coined EBM. Um, I mean, we never professed to be EBM, but <laughs> we accept that we, that we accept that some of our tracks fit ebm because yeah. when we play you know what you know what it's like when you play well you, you you guys dj but if we play live we can't take we could take ambient stuff but we prefer to get everybody moving and just you know to have a of course, have a ball yeah. of course yeah. so those ebm tracks work really well you know so get a good four to the four floor good thick bass line you know yeah. dean can strut around and you know growl and snarl and move about and that's it You know, that's that makes for a good show. Yeah. So that stuff obviously then is incorporated onto our onto our releases, but mixed with stuff that perhaps is a bit more ambient, a bit more sort of eclectic. Because the one thing I think that's missing from modern music is more is experiment is experimental stuff. Mm -hmm. Because people are scared to do experimental because they think it won't sell, it won't then be it won't be played on Spotify. Um so I think there's a lack of experimentation, you know, which is sad because our roots come from an experimental yeah, heritage. I, I totally agree that it's missing, but I don't think that the primary motivation is like that's not going to sell or anything. I think, <laughs> I think um, it's more like, you know, you didn't know what too much of what's going on, you know. Nowadays, everybody is on Instagram. It's looking like, oh, look, this guy, I went to school with him. He started making music last week and tomorrow he's playing the big main stage there and there. So now I need to make tracks like that to get there. I, I think it's more more this motivation that they kind of... Um, going more for the fame than for the music you know that's yeah. what i feel more of the times it's like yeah okay like this is the hardest track right now i need to make an exact copy of that but like give it a little bit of own twist it's not like because then maybe i i get also like a lot of fame and then maybe i get the good bookings and everything of course. So, um I, i feel that might be more the reason why people don't experiment because they um trying to play safe and they go after what's hot right now because mm. their primary motivation is fame instead of like just express yourself with whatever you do even if it's shit yeah. you know 
Yeah. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> Ours is always when you express yourself, even if it's shit. Yeah. It's, happy it's, with, happy it's, with that. You know. It's so funny. Um, we had that already. I don't remember with whom on this podcast. It was, um, I, I started myself with hip hop and there was always the rule, like, do your own stuff even if it sucks it's still yeah. better better like a shitty own sound than a really good copied sound yeah then i moved a little bit more to the dance music and there it was the opposite everybody was saying yeah. like, better a really good copy than a shitty own creation and good I point yeah and i kind of never got it i was like more like come on it's like yeah of course there are certain rules like in your music you need a fat bass line so if you take that away like it's not the genre that you're exactly making, you know, like in my yeah. genre, if you don't have that fat kick, distorted kick, it's something else. It's not the genre I'm making, but within those boundaries, you have still a lot of freedom and creativity to express, you know? Yeah. Well, I hope so. Otherwise it's, otherwise music's come to an end, a stop, you know? Um, but I don't know where we go, you know, I'm not sure where everything goes. Yeah, um, we never know. <laughs> no, we never know. Yeah. No. All right, boys and girls, this is it for this episode. Next week, we are back with part two. John is going to share some amazing plugin tips. We're going to talk about a lot of more topics. It's going to be really good. So thank you very much for tuning in. If you want to check out his music, if you want to learn more, check out the description on YouTube on the video site or the show notes on whatever podcast app you're listening to. You will find the corresponding links to get in touch, to learn more, to see whatever you want. So thanks for tuning in for now. I see you next week. Bye bye.